welcome to the European Basketball Podcast. This month's editor's choice is Overview of primary and secondary analysis from 20 randomized controlled trials comparing carotid artery stenting with carotid endoarterectomy by Dr. Bachelder and colleagues. The authors have performed an extensive systematic review and meta-analysis of data from 20 randomized controlled trials comparing carotid neuterectomy and carotid angioplasty or stenting published in 126 papers in 36 journals between 1998 and 2019. The systematic review was performed following the PRISMA guidelines with a structured search in the Medline, Embase and Cochrane databases, scoring of the quality of each RCT and predefined detailed design of the endpoints and certification of the data. This review includes 3,467 asymptomatic and 5,797 symptomatic patients. There is a lot of data in this study. The main consistent findings across all RCTs are significantly higher 30-day any stroke and death stroke rates for carotid artery stenting in asymptomatic patients compared to carotid neuterectomy. The overall odds ratio for 30-day death stroke risk was 1.64. The rates of death, disabling stroke, myocardial infarction or composite death stroke MI were similar for carotid stenting and endoterectomy. For symptomatic patients, there were significant differences in favour of carotid endoterectomy for any stroke, death stroke and death stroke MI rates, with a 71% higher overall rate of death stroke for carotid artery stenting. It is interesting that 86% of strokes after endoterectomy in seven trials were ischemic and 14% were hemorrhagic, in contrast to 94% ischemic strokes after stenting with only 6% hemorrhages. 93% of all the strokes after endoterectomy were ipsilateral, similarly to 91% of strokes after stenting. The incidence of stroke in the very same day of the procedure was 4.7% after stenting versus only 1.9% after endoterectomy, with a 2.6 odds ratio. Delayed stroke, happening 1 to 30 days after the procedure, was similar after stenting, 2.5%, and endoterectomy, 2%. The paper also collects previously known analysis, like the increasing risk of post-procedural risk of stroke after stenting with age, which is not observed after endoterectomy. The threshold for significantly different results in favour of endoterectomy is 70 years. Below that age, both techniques have similar stroke death rates. The results of stenting regarding stroke are also worse in women, with an odds ratio of 2.6 compared to endoterectomy, especially in symptomatic patients. Body mass index did not influence the results for either stenting or endoterectomy. The risk of stroke or death was about eight times higher when stenting was performed in the first seven or 14 days after the carotid symptoms compared to endoterectomy in the same time frame. In patients with previous coronary heart disease, again, stenting fared worse, with significantly higher stroke death rates compared to endoterectomy in patients older than 74 years. Death stroke rates were three to nine times higher for stenting compared to endoterectomy when the plaque was longer than 13 millimeters or lesions were sequential or extended beyond the bulb. The presence of contralateral stenosis or occlusion did not affect the results for stenting or endoterectomy. The presence of extensive previous white matter brain lesions also increased the risk of perioperative stroke 
almost threefold for stenting compared to endarterectomy. Concerning technical issues, closed cell stents protected from death and stroke more than open cell stents, but counterintuitively, the use of cerebral protection devices did not make any difference, as neither did predilatation of postdilatation or double antiplatelet therapy. Using more than one stent and doing three or less stenting procedures per annum were associated with twofold risk of perioperative stroke. The risk of MI was increased in darterectomy procedures performed under general anesthesia but not under local anesthesia. Cranial nerve injury was obviously much higher after surgical endarterectomy, but with no adverse impact on quality of life at 12 months. Stenting patients were significantly less likely to require treatment for hypertension, but more for hypertension or bradycardia. White matter lesions appeared more frequently after stenting than endarterectomy, and risk factors included diabetes, hemispheric stroke at presentation, plaque ecolucency, increasing age, male sex, type 2 or 3 aortic arch, lower systolic blood pressure, and curiously, the use of carotid protection devices. The presence of these lesions was associated with higher rates of late stroke or transient ischemia attack in patients treated with stenting, but not after endarterectomy. They have not yet been proven to be associated with late cognitive decline. In summary, as of today, carotid artery stenting is associated with higher risk of perioperative stroke and death, for both symptomatic and asymptomatic patients, and would not be the first choice, especially for symptomatic patients older than 70. Women, long segmental plaques, patients with abundant pre-existing white matter lesions, and procedures scheduled in the first 14 days after the neurological event. But after the first 30 days, both techniques have similar late outcomes with 0.5 to 0.6% ipsilateral yearly stroke rate for the first five years. Late cognitive function and one-year quality of life were similar for both techniques. Late severe restenosis was more frequent after stenting, 10% versus 5.8%, but it did not result in increased ipsilateral stroke rates, so there was no indication of correction. Severe restenosis after endarterectomy, however, does carry an increased, almost fourfold risk of ipsilateral stroke and could merit a closer look. In just a few years, we have witnessed the birth and development of carotid artery stenting, the learning curve, the research, and the tailoring of techniques and indications. This is one of the areas in vascular surgery which has been more completely researched, with several large RCTs which have helped draw conclusions which shape our practice today. I wish we had similar data for lower limb revascularization. All this data, summarized in a very comprehensive way in this paper, has formed a good part of the basis of the 2017 ESVS guidelines on the management of atherosclerotic carotid and vertebral artery disease, published in the European Journal of Vascular and Endovascular Surgery in January 2018. There are clear answers to issues such as the timing of the carotid artery repair after neurological symptoms, the independent impact of age on the results, or the durability of each technique. Other issues remain unclear, like optimal brain protection during stenting. Transcarotid flow reversal stenting advocates a role here, but it has yet to be proved in an RCT or large registry data. I highly recommend reading this complete review by Drs. Bachelder, Soratis and Naylor, both for trainees still building the foundation of their knowledge, and for experienced clinicians in order to update all aspects of this head-to-head -head comparison between carotid artery stenting and endarterectomy. 
You can find the full article in the October 2018 issue of the European Journal of Vascular and Endovascular Surgery, issue 58, pages 479 to 493, or clicking on the link below this podcast. It is an editor's choice, so open access for everyone. Until our next podcast, have a great day. Thank you.